0: Hey there, welcome to Sauce Inbound Podcast. I'm your host, and Dana, head of growth at Sauce Group, a serial acquirer buying wonderful sauce businesses to take them to the next level. Here I chat with inspiring founders and experts to get an inside scoop on how they made their business a success. And today with me is Amir, founder and CEO at Duis, specializing in productivity software that simplifies and organizes the workday. And uh, super excited to have you here.
1: Well, Anna, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Sure, sure. Anytime. I was I was really happy uh for the introduction. Uh you guys are doing a great job and I'm really excited to to learn uh how you're able to work so successfully for the last 17 years. That's quite a ride. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah. It has been quite a ride, and, you know. I hope this will continue as well for many many more years. Yeah.
0: Okay, wonderful. Then let's get to it. I mean, uh First of all, for for you know, for some people that don't know, what's Todoist and what's the problem that you guys are solving?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, right now, like we're mostly focusing on solving like uh, most like task management and project management with Todoist, which is you know probably one of the most popular task management apps in the world. Um, and we also have another product called Twist, which is like asynchronous team communication. Um, and honestly, it's just like creating, you know, simple yet powerful tools that really empower people. Um, so that's kind of like, you know, basically our mission is kind of that, uh, you know, uh, and like, yeah, both of these fields, like, you know, productivity or like just organization and communication are super deep. And I think they're like mostly unsolved as well. Um, and, you know, just like doing this like solving this would just like be a huge unlock for humanity in general because especially knowledge workers like it's so critical for us uh, yeah so you know that's something that we are basically focusing on and 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 try and have tried to kind of like solve for the last like yeah or improve for the last 70 years and I feel like there's many more years uh, where this needs to happen yeah
0: yeah I mean uh, I think I think there is still a big way, long way to go. Uh, because like you said, like, just inspiring humanity to, you know, to, to get their shit together and just uh, start, you know, managing their time and their tasks. It's uh, it's no, no small feat. So um, yeah, I'm really excited to what you're going to do with that. Alright, so uh, what's your background? Like how you got there in the first place, because you started 2007, right? I'm, I'm trying to calculate 17, 17 years back. Uh, so what uh, what was the inspiration behind the product?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, you know, like when I started this, there was almost no task management tools. And I was quite busy, like I was a student, and I basically wanted to create a tool for myself. Um, so that was basically the the motivation was, you know, I want to create a to-do app uh, And I want to make it like modern, like web based. Uh, Yeah. Uh, And honestly, like I had never actually imagined this becoming a company. Uh, So, you know, it wasn't like, yeah, let's start a startup or whatever it is, like, or even a company. It's just like, I want to make a tool for myself. And then I made this tool and I made it public and then basically got users. And uh, yeah, it has basically grown out of that. Uh, Yeah. And the thing is, like, I still use the product a lot. You know, I'm still, like, probably one of the most active users. (laughs) Um, So I really feel, like, still, you know, very passionate about this space. And, you know, just, like, creating something that you actually use yourself is such a wonderful thing. Uh, Yeah. Uh, And also, you know, it makes it very interesting to kind of just, like, keep engaged because the stuff that we are building, we are using ourselves, and then it's kind of just a, a, a loop. And of course, you know, over the years, we are also, we have millions of users, so like listening to customers is also very important because you can't just, you know, just like be like a horse with these blinders and, <laughs> you know, not listen to what people are that's telling amazing. you. Uh, so that's also something that that uh, I especially have learned over the years, kind of listening to customers and like implementing some of the stuff they want. Uh, so it's not only, you know, my baby, but also like, yeah, a lot of other people that, that that, uh, that use this and, you know, also want to see it improved in ways that maybe I, I don't, uh, yeah.
0: Right. I think it's a really good sign that, you know, you're still like dog-footing your own product. And, um, it's fascinating because I started thinking about it and you almost made it sound too easy. Like I just created that and made it public and got the customers and how now, you know, uh, a lot of programmers, uh, around the world, their first project is to-do list so uh, I guess it, it says something about the fact that you know you're solving a problem that millions of people in the world are trying to solve and just make it um, make it simple and make it uh, usable but uh, it's also fascinating that over seventy years you've been fully bootstrapped right and uh, I can remember so many You started in in, in 2007 then you know in the 2008, the first kind of big bubble, big crisis came to the world, then, you know, the last couple of years weren't very easy. And you've been bootstrapping all the way. So over these years, what kept you do that? And what was, uh, is there a hack to do it kind of sustainably, uh, healthily to to grow the company? Is there a way? Uh, is there like a cap on the profits that you have, for example, where you say, okay, now we're making this much money, we can start hiring, we can start uh, investing in, the, in development or uh, ads or whatnot. How are you doing this?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I definitely don't think it's very easy. I mean, honestly, like nothing is very easy. So like, there's no cheat codes in anything. And bootstrapping as well, you know, like it's not a cheat code. Like it's still super tough. Like any route you take is super tough, <laughs> and like the the chances of success are very low. Um, yeah, so that's like anything. Uh, I do think though, like uh, you know, so I've actually had some experience with like being uh, backed by investors. Uh, because I also co-founded like a social network where we basically burned money. We didn't have a business model, um, which was also very common at that time. And I really didn't really like that at all because it, it puts a lot of pressure um, on you, you know, like hitting milestones and just like fundraising and, you know, it puts a lot of stress. Um, and I also think like it doesn't really produce long term. Of course, like you have some successes like Facebook or whatever, like, uh, but a lot of times, you know, you just burn a lot of money, uh, and you don't really produce anything of value. And you can see this right now. I think there's a like huge reckoning uh, happening in the SaaS space, where you know, people have raised a lot of money, they have burned a lot of money, but they have actually not really built a sustainable business. So for for me, like this sustainability, like being self sufficient, uh, you know, being like Paul Graham has this great post on like uh, default alive and default debt, like being default alive, that was a very good place to be. Uh, And what it means is basically that you're profitable or like, you know, you can cover your expenses. You're not dependable on like fundraising or, you know, your own money or like whatever. So I think like if you're bootstrapping, like the first thing you need to do is like get to a default alive state where you can actually, you know, just continue like working what you're doing without like dying uh, and that is kind of like what we did. Uh, that was like the, the, the first objective. And then once you kind of like became, begin to earn money and like generate money, you can kind of see how you're investing that. But I think like this default alive state is super critical, even actually as a scale, because for us, you know, we could have taken a lot of debt in as well if we wanted, or like, you know, even do fundraising or whatever else. Like, But the thing is, you know, at some point you need to pay... That, uh, I you know, or like you maybe are like, let's say that we actually like raised hundred million and we, then we, you know, hired like 300 people, you know, you have 300 people that you need to sustain and pay. And at some point that uh, funding dries out. And if you don't have a business that's actually sustainable, you will not be able to pay people salary. Um, so you can see right now like there's a lot of lay- uh, layoffs happening uh, a lot of companies are kind of like in this stage especially right now but like with interest rates you know becoming much higher it's a much different climate we are going into um, so yeah so that's kind of like yeah like a sustainability you know profitability and like building something that's like default the life uh, that's a great strategy for, for bootstrapping
0: yeah. Yeah. I guess you're right. But I mean, uh, you made it way past default life, right? You made it to, uh, to a pretty successful business. Uh, and, uh, how many people are there now in, in the company?
1: Yeah. I mean, honestly, like, <laughs> I think that's always like a, a vanity metric, uh, because, uh, you know, like my objective is like having as few people as possible <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because I think like, you know, uh, more people more problems you know like the whole complexity arises a lot so like we are about 100 people and mm-hmm. honestly like i'm just like trying to figure out ways like that we don't add more people uh um because i do think like you can do amazing things especially right now there's like so much leverage like for instance of ai with technology in general that you can actually you know have a billion dollar business and be 50 people uh um. So you know, I think that the question should be like you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, like what is the revenue per employee, and because that is kind of like what you are measuring. Uh, yeah. And if you see like some of these VC backed companies, uh, you know, they have a little uh, revenue,
0: uh,
1: and you know, like I, like one of the I think uh, last week like a pitch which was like this uh presentation. software. uh, Like, I think they raised like 138 million. They had like 4 million in revenues and they had like 130 or like, I don't know how many employees, you know, that is a very bad business. And that also means that you also have like very uh, little efficiency per employee, productivity per employee. Um, So what we actually measuring is more like what what is actually like revenue per employee and like getting right. that as high as possible. So so right now like we're about 100 people and i think we are about maybe 200,000 per uh per, per person. So about 20 million in in, in, in revenue. And we actually want to grow that, you know. Uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, that was actually uh the next question, but thank you for for elaborating. I think that it, it makes great sense. Everyone is turning towards profitability uh this Last year, and I think it's a, it's a really good turn. Like you said, there are so many uh, technologies and AI to to leverage for for growth and to, to make sure that uh, the team is efficient. Um, but uh, yeah, about you know hiring about talent acquisition, some founders say that uh, you know hire slow uh, and only hire when you know you as a founder know. What is supposed to be done and how it's supposed to be done. So, um, did you have this strategy? Did you basically have to learn from the very beginning every aspect of running the company, and then only hire people uh, to be able to assess what they're doing? Or was it different? And um, what was the most challenging thing to learn?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, so uh, I can give you my perspective. I can also give you a perspective that I'm actually seeing. You know, I know some. Found, like some of my friends are founders as well of like very successful companies. And I think there's kind of like a common trait between like the, the very successful ones is it's kind of like learning machines, uh, like constant and like in many different fields. So if you see like uh, you know, so I, I won't mention the name, but like I have a founder that's like uh, like he's found like a five billion plus company that's growing a lot and um, they have a lot of employees etc but that you know the thing you see is like just learning constantly learning about everything especially you know like maybe like um, you're learning on, on marketing and maybe you don't really need marketing right now but you know that that is like super critical for the future of a company and then you know you become kind of an expert on that uh, and then you go to financing then you go to, you know, like technology or whatever it is like AI. Um, And I think that's also like something that like is very, very difficult with being a founder is like you need to constantly learn and evolve uh, and grow as a company grows. Um, um, And, you know, some people are very good at this. Uh, Maybe a lot of people aren't, Uh, yeah. Uh, And for me personally, like that's also something that I see always is kind of like uh, constantly uh, like constant evolution because I started, you know, my background is like computer science, it's technology. But over the years, I've like learned a lot about like marketing, people management, leadership, you know, Uh, and it's constant. Like, yeah, I don't think this ever stops. Uh, Yeah. I mean, and and I think it's also fun because like the the environment isn't static. It's always like evolving and always challenging. Uh, So at least like I love this aspect of the job, uh, but it's also, Um, you know, it's not like a job where you can just like sit back and enjoy, you know? Uh, (laughs) Yeah.
0: Right. Absolutely. So what was the most challenging skill that you had to learn? This episode is sponsored by rewardful.com. Looking for new ways to find customers for your SaaS business? Consider adding an affiliate program. Rewardful is the easiest affiliate tracking platform to set up, manage, and scale for SaaS companies log your customer acquisition cost, and only pay affiliates based on results. Integrate Rewardful with your Stripe or Paddle account and set up your affiliate campaigns in minutes. Building a successful affiliate program can be a little bit intimidating figuring out where to get started. That's where Rewardful has taken what they've observed from their most successful customers' affiliate programs and distilled that into an exclusive online course. The exciting part? their affiliate marketing course is absolutely free. And by joining the waitlist today, you'll get early access to it as soon as it goes live. Join the waitlist at rewardful.com course, rewardful.com course, and turn your biggest fans into your best marketers.
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, that, that is something still I'm learning. It's like just managing people. Uh, you know, when I started like, I actually never saw myself as like a leader. I never wanted to be a leader. Like uh, it was kind of like push. (laughs) Uh, It was pushed by the company's needs uh, to kind of become, you know, uh, like managing people, leading people. Um, And that is like not something that comes very natural for me. Uh, So I think that was definitely like the most challenging aspect and i'm still learning that uh, <laughs> yeah i i you know and that's maybe you know like the technical background uh, so for me like tech is much easier um to learn and like just think about then like you know like scaling people and like scaling organizations uh you know yeah so yes i've kind of like learned to like this part of the job a bit better but it's still kind of a struggle and it's not something that uh that comes very natural, yeah.
0: Okay, yeah, I think uh, I think it's a, it's uh, true for so many founders. And I remember on one of the podcasts, you even said that uh, you had an offer to invest in, um, in Todoist, but then uh, what investors wanted to do first was to substitute you as a CEO with another person?
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, like, uh, Initially, we had a lot of growth and we had some interest, but like, these are like very famous uh, Silicon Valley VCs. Uh, yeah. And I was uh, like, it was a very good deal. But yeah, like one of the things they want to do is basically replace me as the CEO, <laughs> which maybe, you know, uh, could have made sense. I think like, you know, it made sense because I was very technical. I was not really interested in the CEO job. But I also think like, you know, the company would never have been successful if we have done that. Uh because I still think, uh, and that's the thing. It's kind of like as a founder, you need to evolve, you need to learn, uh, and maybe like as any like kind of like tech employee, uh, you know, I don't like just like career person. Like, is you need to evolve. You know, you can't just like be what you're good at or like you know stay where you're at because uh, that is not, yeah, that that will not really lead you to many places. I think. Yeah. Uh, the thing, though, that's interesting, I think, with the founder is, like, the whole process is, like, very accelerated. And it's also, like, it's really the company pushes you into the direction that you need to go. <laughs> so, for instance, like, you know, you don't want to lead people, but you're hiring people. And then suddenly you have, like, 25 people that you need to manage. Then you need to learn how to lead yeah. people because the, that is the requirement, right? uh right.
0: Yeah. Right, absolutely. I think there were like quite a few stories like that, that, you know, at the very beginning of, uh, you know, building a product, you're building a product, you're not building a company, and you're, you don't necessarily think about, you know, hiring people and managing people. And then uh, it kind of starts growing, starts taking off, and you have to hire more. And it's absolutely inevitable to just like start working with people and hopefully even liking it. So, yeah. Makes complete sense. <laughs> <laughs>
1: all yeah, right, yeah.
0: all right, great. So a hundred people. Uh, you are fully remote, as far as I know, and uh, this is. I mean, we are growing fairly uh, fast at Saas Group, and uh, adding more people, adding you know, people from different countries and different cultures, and into different teams and kind of like into those different silos um is challenging so communication is challenging Um, and uh, we're we're constantly working on it like you said uh, we have to learn so what's um how are you doing this how to keep a hundred people who live in different countries and work in different hours uh to perform successfully to know what they're doing and uh to keep the motivation
1: yeah I mean that's a great question and and you know I think like any company uh, regardless if you're remote or not um has this challenge um of course, you know like forcing people to go into office from nine to five makes it maybe less uh like problematic uh but in the end, I think you have the same problem. it's kind of like how do you motivate people um And especially, you know, I think, like, you need to go for, like, intrinsic motivation. Like, people really need to be passionate about what they're doing, you know. Um, And I think the first thing I would actually start with is kind of the mission of the company or, like, what you're building. And then, like, finding people that are actually passionate about that. Um, Maybe that's, like, the biggest ingredient. Uh, And a lot of companies, you know... They maybe don't really have a mission or, like, it's not a very, like, inspiring mission. Um, so if you see, like, some organizations that, like, are doing incredible things, such as, like, SpaceX, you know, their mission isn't just, like, to send rockets to space, which you know, maybe would also still be a, a cool mission. Uh, or, like, uh, it's really, like, to send, you know, uh, like, Occupy Mars, uh, which, like... are much more inspiring uh, take Uh, and I think that aligns people much better Um, and if you see like I think actually some things that maybe uh, Elon Musk I mean of course like he's a super uh, polarizing figure but like I think something he does really well is kind of like you know figuring out like what is actually the inspiring mission so any of his company there's like really inspiring element to, to them like Tesla it's not making cars it's kind of like just sustainability you know climate change uh that's aligned uh, with that and I think that makes it much easier to kind of like find great people you know get them motivated to do the stuff that they need to do and if you have a company that isn't doing anything inspiring, I think it will be very hard to kind of like get people aligned and, and working uh, and maybe most of the current work that we are doing is not very inspiring uh yeah. So that's maybe like a, <laughs> a problem, yeah.
0: Okay, all right, but still, you know, uh, you're you're growing, and, and hundred people work for you, um, so it must mean that that you're you're doing something right. Uh, so, okay, uh, since you started talking about the mission and like the values, right? Uh, I know that at the very beginning, you kind of struggled a little bit to put focus uh, into this, and you had, as far as I remember, 14 values. I mean, I I won't be able to uh, to say what they were. I I do remember the ones you ended up with. Uh, I think it was uh, communication and then uh, mastery, independence and one more. Was it? Courage, uh, ambition. Uh, ambition, yeah. Yes. All right. So, yeah, how did yeah. you end up with those four, and why was it important, like in the first place, like to to create the pool of fourteen values at the beginning?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I think uh, company culture, company values are incredibly important. Um, and initially, you don't really think they're important, you know, because you're just, like, focusing on, like, you know, building something that has product market fit. But eventually, you know, that those become, like, super critical. And, you know, like, um, so before, like, talking about, like, the core values, I think, like, it's really important to, to talk about, like, what makes great cultures uh, inside companies and maybe in general. And I think actually, like... Uh, bad cultures are maybe like cultures that kind of like try to uh, speak to everybody in like be super inclusive for everybody. I actually don't think like those make very strong company cultures and maybe cultures in general, but like just focus on on cultures. Um, So I, I think actually the best cultures are kind of like super polarizing. So either you really feel super connected to that or you don't, you know, there's like no gray areas. Uh, So, for instance, like with Duist, it's not a culture for everybody, you know, it's asynchronous first. It means like we almost have no meetings. Everything is almost in text, a lot of writing, a lot of reading, you know. Most people are not very comfortable with that kind of environment. But some other people, they love this environment and we are building for them, you know. So that's like one aspect of this. And that's where like, for instance, uh, independence or communication comes in. A lot of cultures are collaborative, you know. For us, you know, we collaborate, of course, but we also want people that can kind of like be self-driving, you know, delivering on their own, not being micromanaged, not needing, you know, everything like penciled out, like they can figure stuff out themselves. And again, this is also like polarizing because most companies don't really operate this way. Most people don't really like to operate this way. Um, yeah. So that's maybe like uh, in, in, in the terms of like co- core values and cultures, it's kind of like finding things that are actually like polarizing, like where everybody will not really feel super uh, super great about, about them. So like some other, I mean, if you look at like great cultures, uh, for instance, like Stripe, with the writing culture, you know. Also, like, Stripe has another aspect that we also have is hands-on management. Like, we don't have, like, managers that are just, like, you know, managing people. We want managers that are actually on the front line, you know, some of the best engineers, designers, marketing people, you know. They need to be on the field. Uh, and most companies, you know, they want managers that are just managing people. Uh, so that's also, like, um, yeah, that aspect of, you know, like being very opinionated and like finding out what is actually different and what do you actually want to to promote uh, in a company. Yeah.
0: Right, right. Uh, as you were talking, uh, I, I thought it's it's also very important probably to know what you don't want to promote and like what you don't want people to think about you and being very kind of, strict about it. Because like, when you were talking about Elon Musk, right, it's polarizing, but it's also like, it it provokes thought and like, it, it's, it's love and hate kind of situation, right? So, and people who are driven by that vision, and by that ambition, they they will find a great home there. So I think uh, with you is, um, it's absolutely uh, the same. And, and I think it's great, because like, yeah, it's good to to have all the like thoughts about communication and, you know, empowering uh, people to make their own decisions. But it's also important to tell them like, what is not um, being uh, tolerated, like you said, about the managers, I think that's, that's really smart, because, like, it's, it's inspiring for for everyone else to see like, what your managers are doing, and, uh, you know, trying to uh, to get there as well so that's great that's a great learning opportunity uh, also all right so uh, it seems like there is a lot of hard work and a lot of like really good decisions uh, maybe you know some are not very popular but they're good for you. Uh, what is the like the percentage of luck do you think is there? Do you consider yourself? Like a lucky person, was there an aspect of luck in your success?
1: You know, I think the, <laughs> I think luck uh, is always critical, um, like timing. You know, being in the right place at the right time. So I think definitely like luck is very very critical. Uh, I also think like hard work is very critical. Uh, I don't think like luck is enough. Uh, you know. So for me personally, like you know, I, I started to develop when I was 12, uh, and uh, I was always very, very obsessive <laughs> about about that aspect. Uh, and of course, you know, there's a lot of hard work, but also like you need to be lucky, and you know, hit the right timing with the right idea. And a lot of times, like you may also like just be unlucky, like you're maybe you have a great idea. But you just have the wrong timing. Um, so you have a lot of products over the history where you know they had a great uh, idea, but they were just off. Uh, yeah, this said, you know, that's maybe the beautiful part is like if you you are just in the game and you just keep growing, keep learning, iterating. At some point, like you will become lucky. You know, uh, yeah. Uh, the worst thing you probably do is just like you know become a demotivated or like stop. Learning, stop growing, stop pursuing um, opportunities as as well. Uh, And and, I mean, especially for younger people. Like I have three kids now, you know. So like, uh, uh, it's kind of like it's very hard to like make very radical decisions or like changes. But maybe also initially, like if if you're in your twenties, you know, and you're free, then like making bets. That are wild or like you know crazy. It's maybe not a bad idea. I mean, uh, so something to 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 remember is uh, in my storyline is like I actually quit university uh, like before finishing my masters, and I went to co-found a like social network in Asia Pacific. So I lived in Taiwan. Honestly, my family and my friends told I was like completely insane. For doing that <laughs> because, uh, and you know, I had like zero support from my family as well because, uh, I was like the first that I actually had a university degree and I was basically throwing out the diploma for like some crazy, uh, uh you know, uh, pursuit. Uh, so, so, um, but the thing is, like, you know, doing that was really, really challenging for me because I basically needed to, like, re- yeah, like. Going to a new environment and I was just alone, uh, but I grew a lot as a person. I learned a lot and, like, I kind of positioned myself in a, like, a hyper learning environment where I needed to evolve, I needed to learn, and et cetera. Um, and maybe, like, when you're, and of course, like, I'm actually not sure if, like, I would definitely not recommend doing these things, but I think, like, as you, as a young person, you can actually make risky decisions that are maybe insane. But as long as you're learning, growing, challenging yourself, maybe you end up in a good place and maybe in a better place than, you know, if I have, like, got my master's degree and went to work for, like, IBM or, like, whatever else was there, like, uh,
0: yeah. Okay. So maybe that that was luck, getting that uh, adventure. All right uh that's wonderful okay so uh i just want to come back to to the previous question just a little bit uh because um i just started thinking a a little bit about what you said about uh you know the managers and being on the front lines and um uh, you know really like pushing leading with with an example tricky question (laughs) uh what are your um yeah what basically are you doing in the company right now? What are your um, um, duties, or uh, you know, what are your tasks? Uh, and uh, yeah, what is that? What is the team that that you're leading?
1: Yeah, I mean that's a great question, Anna. Uh, and, and you know, something to note is like I'm actually still de- doing a bit of development, uh, not as my full time uh, position, but you know, I'm still like contributing. Um, because I just like find that very fun. Um, so that's one element, but honestly, like my core job right now is kind of just like, you know, so like a few months ago, we redid our mission and like, you know, communicating that, out, changing that, uh, thinking about that, that was actually really, really difficult, uh, to do. Um, and I think like, it's super critical as a founder to actually do that, uh, because, yeah, like you may say, like, yeah, the mission doesn't really matter, but, like, it actually does because it kind of, like, it directs the energy and focus of, like, 100 other people. So, like, making sure that, like, the 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 vision and mission is very clear, like, where are we actually going as a company? Uh, that is very, very critical. So that's one aspect. The other aspect is kind of, like, evolving the leadership team, improving that, uh, you know, like if you are twenty people, leadership maybe doesn't really matter that much, uh, you know, uh, because everybody knows everybody, everybody knows all the details probably. <laughs> uh, but as, as like hundred people, you actually like leadership becomes much more critical, um, and like having you know everybody aligned, uh, like having you know uh, all the different like aspects like functioning together. Uh, that becomes uh, a challenge, and like that's also something that that I work on uh, a lot. Uh, yeah, and of course, you know, like making sure that you have the right leaders, replacing those that are not functioning, uh, evolving that aspect. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. So those are like some of my uh, duties. Yeah.
0: Okay, thank you. I hope it wasn't too intrusive. I t- I took a leap of faith with that question, uh. But um, yeah. Okay, thank you. And uh, just a couple more questions, kind of the the usual ones on the podcast. First is what has been so far over seventeen years? I mean, I'm I'm always fascinated when uh, there are founders that have been doing uh, something incredible for for such a long time. Um uh, what has been the biggest win and the biggest failure?
1: Yeah, I mean uh, those are some uh, excellent questions. And I think like, you know the biggest win is basically you know building a sustainable business. You know, uh, being default alive, uh, not really being dependent on other people, uh, like especially other, uh, or like not being dependent de- dependent on like hitting some milestones or like you know growing at a certain percentage or whatever it is like that you can be forced into. Um you know I think we have been very blessed and that has been the the the, the, the biggest win and the biggest failure I mean obviously there's many and you know it's kind of like a journey. It's like up and down um uh and um you know like I think something that is like very easy to do as you become default alive and you don't really have outside investors uh, or like just outside pressure is like, it's very easy to become complacent. So unfortunately, I do think we had like some years, maybe uh, like one or two years where we were very complacent. We were not really doing very good job. We were not really growing. You know, we were not pushing ourselves. Uh, we were just like happy with the status quo. And I think this is like that, you know, to the company. It's that to pe- people's growth in general. Um, yeah. So I'm happy, you know, at some point, like I woke up and said, like, this is really shit. Like, you know, like we really need to change this attitude and like we need to, you know, uh, yeah, uh, like get out of this hole. Uh, and I think that has been a failure because. Yeah, like I think it's very easy to kind of just become very complacent and like you know not really pressuring yourself or others, not setting the standards very high. Um, yeah, uh, so that's also something I see like in some other bootstrap companies or like just companies without like a lot of like yeah, it's very easy to just like yeah, unfortunately become complacent. Yeah.
0: Okay. All right. That makes sense. That's I think that's a great one, uh, and it's it's a really good. Uh, to be reminded of that. Uh, Okay. And the last question is about a hack, right? And again, coming to the fact that you've been alive for 17 years, um, you know, doing a a lot of work yourself. Uh, What is the hack to grow in a company, to being passionate about it, to keep learning, uh, to keep pushing?
1: Yeah. I mean, um, you know, something that... um... We thought we had lost uh, in the COVID pandemic, uh, was actually like remote work. Um, I think it's an amazing hack. Uh, You can get some amazing people around the world. You know, you can really make this work. I really think, like, if you have the right culture, the right people, it's like the best environment you can have because people have so much freedom. You can have really smart people that are, you know, passionate about the mission of your company, Uh, yeah, so, you know, I thought this was a kind of commonplace, like, at least, like, you know, it kind of like during COVID, everybody was doing it. And right now, you know, a lot of people are back into offices, forcing, uh, yeah, office work and et cetera. And I think, like, remote work is, yeah, a hack. Uh, It's a hack to do better work, uh, hire better people. and. On on top of that, like if you want an even more extreme hack, it's yeah. kind of like more asynchronous, uh, more asynchronous way of working. So you know, like we have actually preached this for many years. We have actually stopped preaching this because like it's so hard to change the paradigm. Um, but I think you know, remote work mixed in with asynchronous as default uh, is kind of the ultimate hack on like creating better work, living a better life. Um, yeah. So those will be my, my hacks. Yeah.
0: Okay. All right. Well then, you know, you must be happy that, uh, still, I mean, a lot of people are coming back to offices, but even more people are starting, uh, uh companies that are default remote. So, um, I think that's great. Um, thank you for sharing that. And, uh, thank you for a conversation, Amir. I mean, um, like I said, it's really inspiring what you guys are doing and how you're doing it and how, you know, how very realistic you are about your culture and what what you are and what you're not. Uh, I think it's uh, it's a very fresh kind of look at, uh, at leadership. So thanks for sharing it. And uh, yeah, excited to see what you're up to in the next year and happy to do it again sometime.
1: Well, Anna, thank you for a lot of great questions. And yeah, I hope uh, listeners have enjoyed
0: this. Uh, yeah. Thank you. And take care. That was yet another awesome conversation on SaaS Unbound. We're always looking for new guests to share their experiences. We mostly talk with bootstrapped SaaS founders. And if you're one, reach out to me directly at Anna at or find me on LinkedIn. If you're not bootstrapped or even not SaaS but have a great story to tell, we want to hear from you too. And obviously SaaS Unbound wouldn't be possible without the SaaS Group, a founder-friendly private equity company that buys awesome businesses that people love to take them to even greater success. If you're thinking about selling your company or just exploring your options, feel free to visit SaaS.group, fill in the form, and expect a response in under 24 hours.